Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for tuning in today for a chance to get to know David Schuler, a superintendent out of the Township High School District 214 in the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Schuler has been recognized as the 2018 Illinois Superintendent of the Year and was also named the 2018 National Superintendent of the Year. He has served as the 2015-16 AASA President, the School Superintendents Association. We'll also get a chance to delve into Transio, a company that he started with some other seasoned educators. David, are you ready to give us the scoop? I am. I really appreciate your time, and I'm looking forward to talking with you about all of the things that you've got going on. But before we get started, can you give our listeners a bit of information about you and your background? Absolutely. I grew up in a small rural farming community in central Wisconsin and had just an incredible uh, K-12 educational experience, Um, went off and did my undergrad at a small liberal arts school outside of Madison, uh, outside of Milwaukee, became a teacher, uh, middle school and high school and a coach, Um, did my master's and my doctorate at UW-Madison, my um, in educational uh, leadership and policy studies, became a athletic and activities director on the south side of Milwaukee, and then became a high school principal and a superintendent in the awesome school district of Marshall which is about seven miles outside of uh, Madison, a small, another small farming community. Um, I was there for several years. Then I went up to Stevens Point um, in the central part of Wisconsin as a superintendent for three years and then moved down to Illinois. And I've been superintendent in District 214 for the last 15 years. Since we typically have rural education listeners, can you give us a little bit about your experience, kind of dive into that rural piece with, with your experience in rural education? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the really cool things about being in a rural school in a rural school district is you really are the community and you're the center of the community. And so growing up as uh, a student of a rural school district, you know, knowing all of the teachers are individuals in that community whose children are also going to the school. So there's a different level of vestedness, I find, Mm -hmm. in, in rural school communities and staffs. And then working in um, as a principal and as superintendent, I mean, you're the largest employer in that community. So the opportunity to ensure that the economy and the robustness of that rural community stays alive is super incumbent upon us as a school and school district leaders. And I just think that's something that's a really unique responsibility and an awesome opportunity for our rural school colleagues. Absolutely agree. Well, you're working in Township High School District 214 now. Introduce us to your current district. So um, that first district, Marshall, was a, about 1,000 students. We were growing pretty rapidly, and um, I had the opportunity to go to referendum as the community for support to build a new school. And then in, when I went up to Stevens Point, we were declining in enrollment pretty significantly, mm-hmm. and I had the... Uh, let's put it in air quotes, opportunity to close the school. So I was really looking for a community that had some stable enrollment. And uh, District 214, we found just that. It's a 
great district in the suburbs of Chicago. We have six comprehensive high schools. We have one specialized school that houses four alternative programs. We have 12,000 students um, and just a really, really wonderful incubator of ideas. We have some really good resources, which I did not have in my previous districts. So for us to pilot and to try things out and then you know, it's my belief that if you have resources, you're, it's incumbent upon us to share with our colleagues who maybe don't have as many resources, what works and what doesn't work, mm-hmm. so that they can take those ideas and apply them to their context. And everything should be a little different because we are a commu- all of our communities are different and that should be celebrated. Um, but there are times when you just don't have the resources to start everything from scratch. Well, one of the areas that you've done a lot of work in in your current district is looking at student learning outcomes in a really different way. Can you walk us through the why and the how of the launch of your Career Pathways program? Absolutely. Um, From my perspective, when we got so focused under NCLB around teaching to a test and then grading and assessing schools and school system leaders down to a single test, we really devalued and minimized the impact of our teachers and of our school system leaders and our students and our parents. And so as I was looking out there and seeing this national narrative that was negative around public education being created, I said, you know, we have to find a way to launch students into their future. Like it's no longer good enough for us to think about how many of our kids graduate. Rather, it has to be about how successful our students are after they graduate. And that's what we have to be thinking about. And our students can only dream what they can see. And in so many corners of our great country, they can only see their current context. And so for us as teachers, as principals, as superintendents, it's an obligation for us to plant new dreams in the minds of our kids to believe they can be more than they can be than they believe they can be. And I think, you know, if we want to stay the greatest global economy the world has ever seen, why would we ever want to create a generation of students that have the exact same skill set, the ability to take a test well? I mean, that makes no sense. We need people with different skill sets and they should be lifted up and elevated and celebrated. And that's really what the Career Pathway Program really um, is all about. It's all about making school relevant and engaging for every student. You know, and when we, when you think about the research at the University of California system that talks about fourth grade is the year that kids decide to take school seriously, mm-hmm. you know, what does that mean for our fourth grade teachers? Do they even know that, you know, and what does that mean for our curriculum in that space? And are we doing some career discovery work so that they're thinking beyond maybe all that they see? And then for rural schools, I spend a lot of time talking about, you know, how are you maintaining that bungee cord? right? So that that student always knows where home is. Because oftentimes for years in smaller communities, rural communities, we've sent kids off to school and we've cut the cord and we've allowed them to form a new home away from home. And then they take all that skill, all that knowledge, all that expertise, and they apply it to wherever they went to school instead of back in their base community. So if you're providing some of those workplace learning experiences in your hometown where they're going to school and then when they come back for Christmas, you know, or for winter break, are you giving them opportunities, you know, to, to come back and engage? Are you sending them a note in October wishing them a really great sophomore year in college so that they never forget where home is? Mm. And I think we have to be 
so much more intentional than we've ever had to be in the past to ensure the vitality of our rural schools um, and our rural, rural school economy. I really like that idea of they can't dream what they can't see. Exactly. And so if I was a student in your school, what exactly would I be given an opportunity to see? What does that look like for me? Yeah, that's great. Great question. So you might be able, if you, any of your science classes, you'd be able to walk past and use some nanotechnology in a nanotech microscope. You might walk past a, a, a gym and see our robotic rumble and be thinking about, oh man, I wonder if I should think about going into robotics. You might walk past a room and see a flight simulator for a student who may be interested in aviation pathway. You may you know, struggle with math and take our geometry and construction program when you're, where you're out building tiny houses for uh, wounded warriors and vets, veterans, you know, and in the process getting geometry credit because you're talking about and using the language of mm-hmm. geometry. We have, path, we have experiences in all 44 of the career pathways and all 16 of the career clusters. And when I was in my first superintendency in that principalship, obviously at a school of 300, there was no way I could provide opportunities for all of those, right. but we could do discovery work in each of them. So we spend a lot of time with our kids and we want you to discover your future. Not that you we're going to decide what you want to do with the rest of your life when you're 13. That has zero to do about that. But if I can get them and we can get them to come to school and to think about this is more than just going from class to class to class, it really is about preparing me for the next step of the journey. And I know I'm going to be ready when I get there is what it's all about. So David, you were the AASA president in 2015 and 16. And during that time, you introduced the initiative Redefining Ready. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it goes right in line with our um, pathway work. And it really, it, what we did is I went to our executive director and said, I'd really like to do a meta-analysis about what the research says to be college, career, and life ready. Rather than allowing testing companies to define that for us, I wanted to take back that mantle of the narrative. Dan graciously agreed um, to allow us to do that research. And so we spent about a year and a half researching all the top research institutions um, around the country and developed a list of indicators to what it means to be college and career ready. And up to this point, we've had 17 states around the country incorporate portions of it or most of it into their ESSA accountability plan. So I'm super fired up about it. And really what it, what it says is, you know, if you have a 2.8 GPA on a 4.0 scale, plus another academic indicator, you hit the academic side, And then if you have 90% um, attendance and a career area of interest and you hit a a career-related indicator or two, that you're going to be prepared for that, those employability. I hate the term soft skills, Melissa. You know, they're really employability skills, those skills Mm -hmm. that are going to make you successful in working and communicating and collaborating with others. And so um, if you hit the the college and the academic and the, uh, the career readiness indicators, you meet the designations of being college, career, and life ready under our Redefining Ready uh, metrics. And we're getting super close to rolling out middle school and high school readiness indicators. Those will probably be ready to go live within the next three to four months. Um, And again, we want to make sure everything has a really solid research base behind it. And anybody can access any of the research. We want to be completely transparent. We're not trying to make any money as a national association off this work. Everything's available at redefiningready.org. And if any of you are like me and 
don't have a life and on Friday nights are looking for some <laughs> really cool policy wonk research to read, just come and check out our website. <laughs> I was going to ask you about how you're evolving to include elementary and middle school students. And so you, it's three or four months until that's going to be launched. But can you give us a sneak peek? What, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, the, re, the, the elementary research is pretty powerful around, especially in kindergarten, 60 minutes of uninterrupted structure play mm. has such a strong correlation to academic learning beyond three or four years. Like some of the, um, there's some research out there about like um, being read to has a, um, I'm just trying to think back now, has a positive correlation to about third or fourth grade for like 30 minutes, mm -hmm. but structured uninterrupted play of 60 minutes at kindergarten goes well into uh, upper, um, upper elementary intermediate schools with a positive uh, student achievement correlation. So that would be one access to, um, the uh, a music or fine performing arts uh, weekly, um, which I know can be a struggle in some of our schools, but not right. if you, and the research is weekly, it's not daily, um, you know, and so that's pretty powerful. And, and then obviously being on track at third grade is super important. Um, we know all that research that's out there, especially when we know most places, the achievement gap starts to start to expand and grow in third grade, but it's often not recognized until middle school. Right. So we miss like those three years in between where we could be intervening in a much more intentional way. And then either some proficiency related to SEL um, or student discipline. A lot of work right now on you know, less than two out-of-school suspensions or disciplinary infractions that would lead to an out-of-school suspension at elementary or middle being really critical for setting that groundwork from a behavior and dispositions perspective for middle school and high school. Well, it speaks strongly to recess then, doesn't it? <laughs> it totally does. So you mentioned SEL, and, and so let's dive into that. That's because that's an area of education that's really been getting a lot of attention recently. How does that fit into the multiple measures framework that we've been talking about? I think it's critical for all of our students and all of our teachers to be thinking through the SEL lens when they're when they're creating their work and doing their practice uh, and planning for their lessons, um, our students have to feel confident and we have to build that self-confidence in them and that self-efficacy in a way that's going to allow them to do some advocating or for themselves, but also being able to express when something's not going right. And I'm not sure historically we've always done a lot of that in K-12 education, from a system perspective. I think some teachers have been awesome at it, but what we're trying to do, and I think across the country now, you see people really trying to say, okay, how can we create a system that allows for us to ensure we're meeting the social emotional learning needs of all of our students? And you may have seen there was a white paper that came out of the Aspen Institute that actually now calls it SEAL, Social, Emotional, and Academic Learning. So they didn't want to leave that academic piece out. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about that, but I I don't have an opinion on it yet. It's still kind of just marinating in my mind. Uh, so, um, but I think that's, that's interesting, right? So when I was a principal, and again, it was a smaller school, but I would put up the names of all of the students in the library. And I would, obviously during non-student time, and I would give the, all the staff members, everybody that worked in the building, some of those um, little dots, you know, that have st that sticky dots. Mm -hmm. and I'd say put a dot next to any student who you think 
you have a connection with or who you feel you have a connection with besides just having them in class. You know something about them, you know something about their family and gave them about, I don't know, maybe a day and a half to do that work. And we came back and we looked at the students that didn't have any dots next to their names. And they were the students with the lowest attendance rates, the worst grades and the most discipline. Hmm. And we said, that's on us, you guys, as a team, we need to now find a way to intentionally build a connection and a relationship with every one of those students. And we saw just, as you would expect, we saw a dramatic increase in attendance um, and a great decrease in disturbances and challenges in school because they felt a connection. They they knew that someone cared about them. Just one other thing that I forgot to mention with the the elementary and middle school writing syndicators, there is huge amounts of research out there that um, children will do much better if they know at least one adult in the school believes in them. That unconditional positive regard. Correct. Yeah, it is powerful, isn't it? That just that one on one caring adult can make such a big difference in the life of a child. Absolutely. And we have no idea the impact we have on students. It's one of the things I've been saying a lot lately as I've been giving speeches. You know, why would we ever expect a second, third, or fourth graded grader to raise their hand if the one time they offered a contribution, the teacher told them, no, that's the wrong answer? We've just, we have to be so much more intentional with everything that we do because now we have this research base and we know best practice and we know kids need someone to care about them at the very basic Maslow levels, you know? Yes, absolutely. So David, one of the things that I've learned about your, your district is that you have a community service aspect that focuses on student outcomes beyond high school. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? What does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that was most surprising uh, as we were going through this meta-analysis was the impact of service learning and community service. Community service to fulfill class requirements increases the likelihood of college graduation by 22 percentage points. 22, like that's unbelievable. That was such an aha for us. Wow. So we had to go back as a district and completely reimagine our social studies curriculum to ensure we were incorporating community service and service learning into our civics and human geography curriculum. Mm. Now we also have service clubs in our schools and some are called one of our, uh, we even have a class at two of our schools, a service learning class. But when you think about that first data point of the 22%, and then you add on the fact that the vast majority of students in your schools that do not go on to a two or a four year institution stay in the communities in which they went to high school, it's incredibly imperative for us to make sure that all of our students understand that value add of being a good community citizen and of understanding their role of serving others in their community. If I was a student and I was getting ready to do community service work in your district, what would that look like for me? So you would have a number of different choices. You could totally create your own service learning opportunity if you wanted to do a project for, um, you know, your church, or you were really interested in reading, so you wanted to go read at the library. If you wanted to, uh, you're really interested in teaching, we would recommend that perhaps you go do a field experience at one of our elementary or middle schools in the area. Um, And, or you could have an opportunity to do community service in your career area of interest. If you specifically want to, let's say you're really into, uh, you want to be a veterinarian, right? you would have the opportunity, we wouldn't force you to, but you would have the opportunity then to do community service at an animal shelter or a vet clinic to learn a little bit more about your career area of interest while 
feeding your passion with that work, which I think is just really, really cool. And, you know, uh, vet science is such a cool uh, uh, area of interest for people to focus on. And if any of your colleagues are interested, the NCAA is now starting to approve egg bio classes um, where you can earn, you, it can be taught by an agricultural teacher, but you can still get bio credit for it, which I think is super, super exciting. There's only a handful of districts that have gotten it approved by uh, the NCAA for the clearinghouse, but it is a possibility. And so any rural schools that have huge vet science programs or FFA programs, I'd at least encourage them to, to check that out. So it's a, it's a really great opportunity for kids. Boy, that sounds like something that would fit a lot of the rural communities I'm familiar with. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, speaking of being in a rural area, how do you see community service being successful in that kind of community that may not have access to those partners like your district does? Yeah, so that's been one of the things that's been really cool for me because I've had that rural experience to be able to say, look, there are ways to get it done. And a lot of times, again, the largest employer in most small rural communities are schools. So provide those opportunities yourself. In addition to providing service learning experiences, we also run a lot of workplace learning experiences right through our own school. We've got um, just approved for a... uh, a workplace learning experience through the Department of Labor where we've got people working, uh, students working in cybersecurity, HVAC, automotives, all right on our school grounds working for us, getting those experiences. Our custodial maintenance staff always take uh, student workers to assist them and to guide them. And what's really awesome about that is it just reinforces from my perspective when I say, look, everyone who works for our school district is a teacher. It does not matter your role. You are all responsible for teaching our students. And so we just had a presentation last week by our, one of our HVAC um, uh, staffers who has a student working with him right now. And he's just, he just beams when he talks about how he finds out what the student is learning about, um, either via a dual credit class at a local uh, tech school or community college or through some online research. And then he, you know, he'll show them exactly what that looks like in our school and they'll go up on the roof and take a look at that HVAC unit. And what better way to get buy-in from everybody, you know, into that work. And then there's plenty of uh, opportunities in most rural communities during the summer for both community service and uh, workplace learning experiences. Um, and when I was in Marshall, we did, we asked our kids to create some experiences. So it was completely student led that would benefit the community. So we cleaned up, put a whole program together to clean up the river one year. Another year we had this whole focus on, uh, feeding the homeless in our community. Cause that big misnomer that there are no homeless people in rural America, which is just completely untrue. But yet, you know, there's not a lot of resources to provide support and help for them which is totally unfortunate. Right. We work regionally with, by having, um, putting a library on a bus with a bunch of different districts and having the bus just go around from school to school to school. Um, and then in our case, to a couple of our uh, mobile home parks where they don't have necessarily have access to, to, to being able to get books. Um, you know, so one of the problems for a long time in many places has been we've expected everybody to come to us and we get frustrated when they don't. And I think I've tried to flip that on its head and say, we have an obligation to go to them. <laughs> like right. how can you give them the resources they need to be great, you know, and, you know, and providing opportunities. 
we used to, when I was in Marshall and today, we run parent academy and parent university courses all the time. So how do you support your children with learning math, which is so different than when at least I learned math. But how do, like, it's not that a parent doesn't want to help, but I have a second grader and last week I had to Google something because I wasn't sure what they were asking for and I have a PhD. <laughs> you know, like, it, and so to be able to provide opportunities to help parents support their students through their educational experience just strengthens that bond between parents and the schools, which is an awesome thing to do as well. David, if you would introduce us to Transio, give us the two minute elevator speech about this new program opportunity. Yeah. So one of the things that's really frustrated me, Melissa, is in this age of technology, how much paper and pencil we still use in K-12 schools. And so a couple of years ago, I reached out to a former student of ours who I knew was a brilliant computer programmer who discovered his passion for computer programming through our career pathway program. What do you think about exploring a partnership to try to eliminate these paper and pencil gaps that exist in K-12? And so we started with building an online solution to track and record community service experiences to move away from that compliance focus between adults and students and parents and staff yelling at, I did that. No, I didn't. We didn't turn it in. It's on the counselor's desk. All of that noise and set it aside and focus on the value add of service. And so that's been our, our first solution. Our second solution is to really match and pair students and community resources for that workforce development type work. And, you know, like we know in rural areas and in urban areas for that matter, transportation is a big deal. So we built Transio through the lens of thinking about equity and access. So a student can actually put in their address or look for, let's say they want to do an automotive workplace learning experience. Any of the automotive shops in the area that want to provide those experiences, we include a map and direction. So can you get there on a bike? You know, or will I actually need a car to get there? Because if I need a car, then maybe that's not an option for me. Because we want to really, we wanted to build this, and with all due respect to other people in the ed tech world, I think they build solutions they think make the most sense. We really wanted to include student voice on the student experience side of things, asking them what would benefit them. And then from a school leader perspective, what does a principal want to see? How do we make this super easy and efficient so that it's going to provide a value add? So as a superintendent, I can click one button. And it'll tell me how many students in my district have done community service and the total number of hours of community service done. Well, now when I'm going to a board meeting and I'm supposed to give my superintendent's report, I automatically have a great success story that I get to share with my community. You know, so really, we've really been intentional about building the solution out in a way that's easy for students to use, easy for staff to use, and provides a value add for both students, the adults, and community members. As you think back to that initial launch of Transio, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome those? Yeah, so um, I think one of the biggest challenges was if you've done something, I know this is going to shock you, Melissa, because this never happens in education, but if you've done something one way for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, change can be hard. A shocker. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And so it really was, you know, people initially being skeptical that anything that would be out there would not be super cumbersome or that it was a standalone program. And so for us to be able to build this in a way where it interacts with every student information system that's out there. And when people have been using it and as soon as they, as soon as we show them a demo and they see it's not 
code and words all over the entire page, but there's actually white space. There's different types of graphs. It pulls up. It's mobile responsive, so it's really easy to use on a phone. And you can send messages out to people, to members of groups, to clubs, of future opportunities, previous opportunities. Um, people have been just super, super happy. And I think the biggest challenge initially was, is this another thing? And as people have incorporated it and, and, and used it, they found this isn't another thing. This actually takes time off of our plates because we don't have to do any of those compliance conversations anymore. So it's been super, super wonderful to build something that I can, you know, look my colleagues in the eyes and say, no, this really does what we say it's going to do. And we wrote it in the most current programming language out there. So it'll interact with any of your current programs. Because most ed techs, you know, are written in an older archaic computer language because it's cheaper to offshore the development work. And I just said from the very beginning, we are going to build this right so that I can look my colleagues in the eye and say, this will work with all of your systems. David, what kind of results are you hearing about from students who use Transio for those community service learning opportunities? They're loving it because one of the um, one of the things that we built on the student side is a community service transcript. So they can run a report and they can download and upload it via PDF or CSV file to a college application, a scholarship application, a job application. And they're like, that's all op- those are all opportunities that were wasted before because they could never remember what they did and what they didn't do, what they kept track of, what they didn't keep track of. And the other thing that we're finding, which is really interesting, is there are a number of states and a number of regions and states that have promise programs where mm-hmm. students can go to college for free if they meet four or five indicators and benchmarks. And one of those is community service. And th- what's really surprising is the vast majority of promise programs where kids don't qualify it's not because of GPA, it's not because of attendance, it's because they didn't get their community service hours done or they didn't have a way to track and manage it. So in those areas of the country that have promise programs, we're seeing a much stronger um, continued persistence in the programs because they're able to track their community service with Transio. So that's just been really heartwarming, you know, to know that we're helping students access higher education through the use of our solution. Now, you're a high school district, and so your students obviously are high schoolers. How do you see this program being used in an elementary or middle school? Yep. So we have um, a number of of K-12 systems that have used it or that are using it, and um, elementary schools as well. The way way most districts set it up is that at the elementary level, the teacher kind of organizes and runs the events and kind of puts that into the system so everybody knows whose students are in their class, what activity they're doing. Maybe they're um, raising funds for UNICEF. And, um, and then that event gets tracked and logged with them. So it's more teacher-directed. And then at the intermediate or middle school level, it's done much more as a house or student council sometimes has kind of owned the, the putting those activities in. So you're moving exactly like you would expect, right, from teacher-led to more of a blended model. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the high school, student-initiated and student-led. So exactly that same kind of modeling that we, we should expect our kids to do in everything else that they're doing, that gradual shift from teacher as the lead to student as the lead and taking that ownership. David, do you have any inspiring success stories for us around students that have uh, had some positive outcomes when it comes to uh, service learning opportunities? Oh man, there's tons of them. But I, I think the probably the one that I'm most fired up about is we had a, a student at one of our schools who 
came to us with uh, some diverse backgrounds, some trauma, some um, challenging family situation, and wasn't sure she was going to be able to uh, afford higher ed. And um, through her work and through her community service work that she did and her service learning, um, she was able to become a, a national scholar um, for um, service learning. And it gave her, she ended up getting a full ride to Valparaiso. So wow. you take an, a, a family of poverty, generational poverty, she now has a chance not only to break that for herself, but to break it for her entire family. So um, that's probably the story that brings tears to my eyes the most and gives me goosebumps. Um, but there's a lot of other stories like that that are out there. What support or resources are available for others to tap into if they wanted to start up this program? Yeah, if anybody's interested, they can just they can reach out to me or they can go to gotransio.com. We're happy to share all kinds of information with them. We've got some videos that we had students develop, which is really cool because it has the student voice. And we can give them all kinds of information. But gotransio.com or they can reach out to me directly, david.schuler at gotransio.com. And I'd be happy to share. And, you know, we're in the vast majority of states. So if they're in a state, I can also just connect them with a colleague so they can reach, you know, get their experience to see what they think. The feedback's been great. And we've got 100% um, of schools that have used our program from the beginning that have continued to, to re-up. If anybody wants more information, can you give them your contact information one more time? David.Schuler, S-C-H-U-L-E-R, at gotransio.com. And transio is Latin for transformation, and that's what we're trying to do, transform education in this country for the better. David, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. I want to let you and all the Roll Scoop listeners know. Contact information that he just gave will be available in the show notes, so you can check that out at the Arizona Rural School Association website at azruralschools.org and get more detailed information on how to get in touch with him. Thanks again, David, for talking with me. Thank you, Melissa. It was awesome. member of the Podnuga Network.